the peace chant. Om Bhadram Karne Bhishrinuyama Deva Bhadram Pashe Makshabhirya Jatra Sthirai Rangai Stushtvagam Sastanubhihi Vyashema Deva Hitayadayuhu Swastina Indro Vridhashravaha Swastina Pusha Vishwaveda Swastina Starksho Arishtanemihi Swastino Brihaspatir Dadhatu Om Shanti 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 So we were on the twelfth verse of the second chapter. It's really a beautiful verse and a very important verse. So I'd like you all to um, repeat it after me again. The twelfth verse of the second chapter. Kalpayatyatmanatmanam Kalpayatyatmanatmanam Atmadevaswamayayam Atmadevaswamayayam Saiva buddhyate bhedan Saiva buddhyate bhedan Iti vedanta nishchayaha Iti vedanta nishchayaha So, um, it's saying that the self, which is pure consciousness, by itself projects itself as this universe. By itself, how? With the power of Maya. And then the self, which is consciousness, it itself becomes the knower, the experiencer, which experiences all that it has projected. And this, is, this conclusion is arrived at through Vedanta. Iti Vedanta Nishchaya. What is the context? What's going on here? Come. Um, remember, where does it all start? The, the key text of the entire Mandukya Upanishad and Mandukya Karika is the seventh mantra of the Mandukya Upanishad. If you remember, long, long ago, <laughs> uh, we, we did the seventh mantra of the Mandukya Upanishad in the first chapter. In the seventh mantra, there was one word that Prapancha Upashamam, the entire universe, the silence or the cessation of the universe. There was a text, there was a word. It basically means the universe is an appearance. Now that one word in the Upanishad, uh, in the seventh mantra, Gaurapada, he uh, composes an entire chapter, the second chapter, which we are doing now, to justify that word, to prove that word. See, that was something from the Upanishad. Now, what Gaurapada is doing, he is using logic and experience. Um, logic based on our experience to show that the that the that the universe is actually an appearance. Um, it's it's not an independent reality as we take it to be. We take it to be an independent reality out there. Uh, it exists by itself, and I come and experience it. It's something that happens to me, something other than me. That's our common sense materialistic approach. That it is a material universe apart from me, the experiencer. But the Upanishad says no. It is an appearance. To prove it is an appearance, I'm summarizing what we have done in the second chapter. To prove it is an appearance, two key arguments were given. Do you remember? Two key arguments were given. 
um, Gaurapada uses the example of the dream. Just as in a dream, in our dreams, we see people, places, things, and there are events which happen. There is a space and a time and all of that in the dream. And yet when we wake up, what do we say? All that we experience there, and I myself, I was there as a part of it. The whole thing was dreamt up, imagined in me, my, in my mind when I was, I was dreaming. So the dream example is used by Gaurapada to demonstrate the falsity. The, um, in Sanskrit, mithya, falsity of this world experience. Remember the word mithya is to be understood correctly. It means a relative truth. Even the dream experience felt true. It did not feel false when we were dreaming. It felt true when we were dreaming. It's only after coming out of the whole state and reflecting. When you reflect back upon it, you come to the realization that it was false. It's false with respect to the waking world. In the dream world, it felt very real. Now, so when we say the world is false or an appearance, what exactly is meant? Another word you can use is relative truth. It's not absolutely true. The world is not absolutely true. Or to use another term, Vivekananda's term, this is a lower truth. From lower truth to higher truth or the highest truth. The highest truth is you, the Atman, the experiencing consciousness. Now, what arguments did Gaurapada use? Did the uh, author use to prove? What, what, what were the arguments that the world is an appearance? Fundamentally two arguments, two characteristics of this experience prove its falsity. What are the two characteristics? One is in Sanskrit, drishyatva, the very fact that it is an object of experience. It depends upon the experiencing mind. Uh, it depends upon the experiencer. What does that mean? Everything that we experience in the world Depending upon the instruments of experience you deploy, if you use eyes, you will see forms. If you use ears, you will hear sounds. The same universe. Taste, touch, smell, or thoughts and memories and ideas only in the mind itself. Depending on the instrument you use, your experience of the world changes. Is it not so? Hmm. Vivekananda says if you get a, another um, sense, um, a rattlesnake sees in, uh, in infrared. So there are infrared goggles. You could see what a rattlesnake sees if you put that on. You would see the world differently. So different, depending upon the, the instruments we deploy, the world appears differently. Now, the world in itself, what is it like? Can we know it? Which is basically asking, can you know a world without using any instruments of knowledge? No, you cannot. So a world appears to you through your instruments of knowledge. By instruments of knowledge in Sanskrit, pramanam. Uh, I mean the eyes, ears, nose, um, touch, or even the mind. If you don't use the mind, ultimately everything comes to the mind is mediated through the mind. All the senses pour their inputs into the mind. And there the world is reconstructed for you. Without the mind, where is your world? Where is your world without the mind? Proof, when you switch off the mind, we have an experience, luckily, the experience of deep sleep. Or experiences of what we call unconsciousness. 
in Vedanta would say unmindness or unmindfulness. But there the world disappears basically. Is it not true? The world disappears. Um, so without the mind, we do not experience a world. And with the mind, the experience of the world entirely depends on the mind and the sense organs. So this is what it means, drishyatva. It is an object of experience. Therefore, being an object of experience, it cannot be the absolute truth. It has to be a relative truth. Going deeper, if you remember the way I explained drishyatva was, you cannot experience anything apart from consciousness. All experience depends on consciousness. Are you with me? All experience depends on consciousness. I, I gave the example of once, you know, seeing something with the eyes. Uh, so I went to the eye doctor because I was uh, seeing blurry and needed. The doctor said, um, you have, there's something seriously wrong. And what is wrong? You have hit 40. <laughs> That's what's seriously wrong. That's a, he said, eye doctors know that. This is an un, un, change, uh, unfailing sign of reaching 40. Almost in every case, there will be deterioration in sight. Yeah, please let him sit here. Yeah. So, uh, it depends on... Oh, so the example was, when I went to the eye doctor, so I saw that uh, the last time I had been to an eye doctor, uh, ophthalmologist, they had, in India, it was very simple. They had a chart out there and they asked you to read off the letters. And when you got to a particular row you couldn't read, they will give you different kinds of glasses and you see if the time you, you read it, okay, that's it, done. That was very simple. Uh, uh, I asked him, can you read this? Uh, it, can you see clearly? And you would say, yes, it's better now. Done. I noted that chart and glasses, but ultimately you had to ask the person, are you seeing clearly? But... When I went now this to, to, the, uh, to the doctor here, they had so many machines for simple, you know, glasses for uh, just, uh, you know, what happens when you get older. Uh, but then there are so many machines. You went from this room to that room to these, these uh, scanners and everything. I thought, wow, it's all, all mechanical now. The computers can tell us what is the right glasses. But to my surprise, at the very end, they gave me the right glasses and, and then they said, can you see correctly now? Again, in spite of all those instruments, they ultimately had to check back with what? To you, the conscious being, right? No computer can, can replace that. That final feedback from you, the com conscious being. Because if the computer says, the lenses are out of order in this particular way, and this glass should settle the problem perfectly, no need to ask the patient. But if the patient says, but I still can't see, uh, and will the doctor say, no, 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 there's nothing wrong with you. It's just the com computer said it's perfectly all right. You have got that much power in the eyes and the, these glasses are perfect for that. And that's it. But I can't see. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Nobody will say that. It's ridiculous. Ultimately, every experience depends on you, the conscious being. Entire experience. Whether you believe in God, you're a theist, whether you're an atheist, you are an atheist in consciousness, believe in God in consciousness, scientist in consciousness, a materialist, a non-dualist, a Vedantin, Buddhist, whatever you are, in consciousness. Without consciousness, nothing. So, the conclusion then is, if this world is a relative reality, so that was the, that was the 
रीजन दृश्यत्व द रीजन फॉर फॉल्सिटी ऑफ द वर्ल्ड इज फॉल्सिटी और रिलेटिव ट्रूथ और लोअर ट्रूथ बिकॉज इट डिपेंड्स अपॉन बिकॉज इट इज एन ऑब्जेक्ट ऑफ एक्सपीरियंस इट डिपेंड्स ऑन कॉन्शियसनेस then the second reason for the falsity of the world do you remember anityatva the impermanence impermanence why would impermanence be a reason for falsity we know everything is impermanent i'm impermanent i mean this body is impermanent at a particular date it was born and um, in a few years time maybe it'll die i mean it'll surely die but when it'll die we don't know but it'll die so it's uh, impermanent even uh, this building this city and so on even the world even the universe so at one time it is created one time destroyed but we normally say in between it exists right before my after my birth and before the death of the body we normally say we exist we are here why would this be false do you remember the uh, the chain of reasoning why would you see what is my question it is clear everybody agrees that things are impermanent things are born and destroyed created born and die they 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 are, they are born and they die they are created and destroyed but common sense with normal way we deal with it is yes in between they exist they exist in between but then why is it saying that in between also they are non existence or they are appearances they are not real why if you remember the the chain of reasoning things which are born and they die created and destroyed they have borrowed existence do you remember the borrowed existence the example of the fire and heat the potato is not naturally hot the water is not naturally boiling they naturally they are cold but they have all drawn borrowed heat from the fire underneath fire is intrinsically hot whenever there is fire it is hot now the sign of having intrinsic existence and sign of having borrowed existence the sign of having borrowed existence or say borrowed sign of having borrowed heat is it is sometimes hot and sometimes cold it gains heat and loses heat the sign of having borrowed existence it is it 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 is sometimes existing sometimes not existing in other words it is born and it is it dies it is created and it is destroyed i'm going very fast because i've repeated these number of times so for this reason also impermanence in sanskrit anityatvam all the things that we experience they are objects of experience drishya and they are uh, impermanent anitya because of these two reasons all that we experience is a relative reality not absolutely real lower truth not higher truth um false not real mithya in that case what is absolute reality i'm summarizing the entire chain of thought which has come till now what is absolute reality what is the highest truth what is real not false the answer is consciousness itself being itself turiya the fourth neither the waker nor the waker's world neither the dreamer nor the dreamer's world neither the deep sleeper nor the deep sleep darkness but the one consciousness in which they appear and disappear which you are that is the absolute reality anything that is an object cannot be an absolute reality so the only thing that is left over is the subject is you the experiencer it follows there therefore let me just add it here 
the universe, look at the, the boldness of Advaita. Because you see it, therefore it's false. Because it's an object to consciousness, therefore it cannot be the highest truth. If any object cannot be the highest truth, then it follows that no universe, because universe is an object to consciousness, no universe can be the highest truth. This universe, is, the dream universe is not the highest truth. The waking universe is not the highest truth. And if you substitute this waking universe with some other much better, much finer universe, you go to heaven, for example, you see a heavenly mm. world. In Sanskrit, loka, world. Would that be true? Would that be the absolute truth? What do you think? You're not very sure? Why not? Logic. Because it's an object. Because you'd, you'd be asked, are you experiencing heaven? Oh yes, it's really nice. It's heavenly. Because it is, you experience, you're having a heavenly experience, it mustn't be false. It must be an appearance. Yeah. Whatever you experience, being an object of experience, automatically renders it a relative truth, not the absolute truth. The only thing that is excluded from this is the experiencer, you yourself, your real nature, which is neither the waker, nor the dreamer, nor the deep sleeper, but the one consciousness, the fourth, in which all of this is appearing and disappearing. That leads to the question where we were last time. If that is so, then what is all this? All these people and things and places which we see, we ourselves with bodies and minds having so many kinds of experiences, lifetime after lifetime. Where does all this come from? What is all this? Who projects all of this? And who experiences all of this? Who is this person leading a life here now? And the answer was given in the 12th verse. All of this is nothing but that one pure consciousness itself. That consciousness projects itself as this universe, as the waking universe, dream universe, and the deep sleep darkness. And it itself, that pure consciousness, becoming the waker, experiences a waking universe. Don't look so confused, I'm talking about you right now. You, the consciousness, becoming this person, experiences yourself, that consciousness alone, in this form of this universe. As Vivekananda said, one alone exists, it appears as nature, soul the experiencer and the experienced and yet it is one one consciousness alone which you are really so that is the verse kalpayati projects atmanatmanam projects itself what is all this made of of itself of this consciousness alone all of this is made of that of you you are this universe you means not this person the fourth pure consciousness. And it is projected. Who does all this? It is you who do it. I don't remember doing it. Not you as, not you as this individual being. That pure consciousness, do you remember? With the power of Maya, Swa Maya, Maya, by the power of Maya, by the unique power of Maya, projects. What material is projected? Do you remember the instrumental cause and the material cause? Both are you, the consciousness. Maya projects you uh, as this universe. And then who experiences? Who is the waker in that case? The dreamer, the, the individual being who is sitting in the class. You alone, that, that pure consciousness alone. So when we talk about that pure consciousness, when we talk about the fourth, we are not talking about something abstract. We are talking very much about you, the person sitting right there. 
So, saeva buddhyate bhedan. Bhedan means the variety of entities. Chairs and tables, dogs and cats, stars and quasars and quarks. All of that. Religious objects and um, scientific objects and art objects and material things and concepts and stories and fiction. All of this, these are bhedan, differentiations. They are all buddhyate, experienced by you, the individual. Wow, what a tremendous story. Where do you get it? Vedanta Nishchaya. This is, this is what you get from Vedanta at 4 p.m. in the Vedanta Society <laughs> on Wednesdays. Now let us go ahead. 13th verse. Vikarotya Paran Bhavan Vikarotya Paran Bhavan Antaschitte Vyavastitan Antaschitte Vyavastitan Niyatangscha Bahishchitta Niyatangscha Bahishchitta Evam Kalpayate Prabhu Evam Kalpayate Prabhu The Lord manifests diversely the mundane things existing in the mind, turning the mind outwards, he creates the well-defined things as well as undefined things. Thus does the Lord imagine. What does it mean? Remember, here it is called Prabhu. Prabhu is a word in Sanskrit which is normally used for God. Here, whom does it mean? It means it, uh, Ishwara, but here it means you, the pure consciousness. You, the pure consciousness, with the power of Maya, you are Prabhu, the, the Ishwara. The, the Lord of the universe. How is this universe created? The two kinds of universe. Which are the two kinds of universe? The waking universe and the dream universe. The dream universe, it says, Aparan Bhavan, the inconsequential things in the dream universe. Why inconsequential? Because they arrive and they, and they depart within minutes. Uh, every dream has a different setup. They have no value at all. When you wake up, it's all gone. Next time in a dream, there's another set of objects. So those inconsequential things are imagined in the mind by you, the, the, that same consciousness. When the mind is turned inwards. Inwards means away from the external world, away from the body and the sense organs. And when the mind is turned outwards, working through the body and sense organs, you experience a world of sight and sound and smell and taste and touch. The external world more solid entities which seem to last from each waking state to another waking state to another waking state. So they are called niyatan, the objects experienced in the waking state. So the same consciousness, Prabhu, the same Lord projects the waking universe and the dream universe. Antaschitta means when the mind is turned inwards. When is the mind turned inwards? In deep, uh, in, in dream. And Bahishchitta means when the mind is extroverted. When is the mind extroverted? In waking. So this is the meaning of 13th verse. Vikaroti manifests variously. Aparan Bhavan, the inconsequential entities seen in dreams. Antaschitte, Vyavasthitan. When the mind is turned inwards in dream. And the waking universe? Niyatangscha bahishchitta evam. When the mind is turned outwards with the sense organs. Seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. 
the same Lord projects an external universe. Both, the point being, both are projections of the Lord through Maya. And who is this Lord? Which God? Shiva or Kali or Durga or you. Actually, the, the real you. The real you. You alone project this entire universe. You are that. But by you, I do not mean this particular body-mind complex sitting here. This is also part of your projection. Now, verses 14 and 15, actually, I have, yes. I'm sorry, they have said in the translation in the form of vasanas or sankalpas or desires of the Lord. Which one is this? The same one. It's the same one that you have. Uh, oh, oh, you are you're looking at the, um, you're looking at the, uh, the commentary, no, no, um, the commentary. Shankaracharya. No, above the commentary, the translation here. itself, no. Just the first paragraph above the commentary. The Lord Atman with his mind turn outward. Just a minute. Oh, this is the other book. That's why we have, uh, this is the, that is the Nikhilananda book. Okay. Right? Uh, anyway, that's good. That's correct. Um, uh, read out the translation. Um, the Lord with his mind turned outward variously imagines the diverse objects such as sound etc which are already in his mind in brackets it says in the form of vasanas or sankalpas or desires mm. the atman again with his mind turned within imagines in his mind various objects of ideas how would the lord have vasanas or sankalpas right now what it means is our, uh, look at the twofold creation. One is our dreams and one is the external universe. Our dreams, what we see in our dreams, clearly they are products of our vasanas. Vasanas means the impressions in the mind from previous experiences. What we have experienced throughout the waking and in past lives, that part of that is projected outwards, projected in our, in our dreams. So the world we see in our dreams is based on the collected experiences of our minds. That is vasanas. that's a dream. Now, what is the external world? Often in Vedanta, you will see, it says the dreams are manifestations of our minds, which we agree, right? They are made of our minds. But it also says the external world is a manifestation of our mind. There, one thing you have to remember, the external world is a manifestation in the mind of Ishwara. It does not mean, um, there are different approaches to Vedanta, but the common approach is, it does not mean that you, this individual being, is imagining this external world out there. This being and the external world all are in the mind of Ishwara, just as the, your dreams, all the people and things in your dreams are in your mind. I'll repeat that. In our dreams, whatever we see in our dreams, living and non-living, they are all projections of our minds, the dreamer's mind. Similarly, in the waking world, it is not that you, the individual being, is imagining this uh, universe. If we were to say that, that would be uh, what is in Western philosophy called the, Ber of the Berkeleyan subjective idealism. But it's not talking about that. It says, no, no, for you, this is like a solid world out there. But all of this, you, this personal being, and this world, all of them, are projections in the mind of Ishwara. And they are based on the impressions collected in Ishwara's mind 
uh, over uh, creations, universes coming and going. So, that way. Can I ask a question? Yes. Uh, so, objects are nothing but consciousness itself. So we are, yes. when we experience objects... Yeah, the consciousness plus name and form. Yes, so, but the, when you experience objects, the consciousness is experiencing itself. Itself. But you said that if it can be experienced, it's not true. Right. So how does that resolve? Right. Do you see the question? If you experience something as an object, an object of experience, it is the first argument given by Gaurapada, Drishyatva, object of experience. Being an object of experience, it cannot be absolutely true. It has to be a relative truth or a lower truth or false. The same thing, mithya. Now his question is, didn't the Upanishad just say, or, or Gaudapada just say, it is consciousness alone which projects itself out as the universe and then experiences itself. In that case, isn't it true that whatever we are experiencing is consciousness itself? But if, it's an ob if consciousness becomes an object, to itself, then it becomes false. It becomes a lower truth. So is consciousness a lower truth? But didn't you say consciousness is the higher truth? Is the absolute truth? If you get the question, then the answer will be interesting. Otherwise, uh, what are you talking about? Do you see? Uh, Alright. The answer is simple. What are we seeing? The objects that we are seeing is, as I said, consciousness plus name and form. True. Consciousness plus name and form, right? You are seeing men, women, sky, earth, uh, um, whatever. You see, hear, smell, taste, touch. Do you actually, are you actually seeing consciousness? Are you actually smelling consciousness? Tasting consciousness? Touching consciousness? No. What do you get? Sensations, forms, sounds. These are what are called names and forms. So the objects are always names and forms. Right? Their inner reality is consciousness. But what becomes an object to your uh, experience is the name and form. Then is the name and form false? Of course. In fact, the name and form itself is Maya. So consciousness yeah. does not experience itself. Consciousness experiences itself. Because, the yeah, but it, it experiences, uh, but to ha have an experience of name and form, they must be based on consciousness. The consciousness itself, in itself, does not become an object of experience. What becomes an object of experience is name and form. Then you say, then, but then is that name and form something apart from consciousness? No. It is nothing other than consciousness itself. But then it's experiencing itself, right? That is true. But then what when it experiences itself, it experiences itself with the help of name and form. And that name and form is a projection which is not real. Consciousness can never be pure consciousness. Shuddha Chaitanya can never be an object. What can be an object is name and form. And that being an object, it's not real. And it has to be like that. If it is real, then it becomes a second reality apart from consciousness. Then there is two, not you Advaita. You're naming it as consciousness. You're creating name, if not form. And, and then it can be, it's an object. Well, what, is, what is an object? When you define consciousness as yes. consciousness or call it consciousness. Right. So we have been over this. When you say use, it, uh, use the name consciousness, um, what does it refer to? It refers to Brahmatma. It refers to Brahmatma, but is it an object? But point to something in your experience what it refers to. You'll see. In fact, this is a good question. 
And if you follow it rigorously, it will lead straight to enlightenment. No, no, really, I, I, I really mean it. Watch how it works. I'm asking, he says that when you, he's asking if you name something as consciousness, you just said names and forms are objects and they are false. Now you are naming consciousness. Aren't you in some sense objectifying it? True. Then is it false? Have you made consciousness into an object and therefore the logic will immediately apply on it that an object becomes false? No. Why not? I'm asking you, objectify consciousness and show me. What, what do you, what exactly is it that you are calling consciousness in your experience right now? The beauty of Advaita is it can be demonstrated by experience all the time. What do we call consciousness? Let me help you. We call consciousness the conscious experiences of seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. That's what a consciousness studies uh, scientist would call consciousness. Thinking, remembering, uh, imagining, creating, feeling, loving, hating. All of this are what would come under the set of consciousness. Okay? Are you with me so far? Other than this, can you, is there anything that you experience as consciousness? No. These are what you call consciousness. It could be samadhi, it could be some ecstatic spiritual state also. Now in all of these things, there are two. One is the changing object of experience, giving rise to different experiences. See, you see something. That's an experience. You touch it. That's an experience. You hear it. That's an experience. You name it. You name it, you think about it, you remember it, you memorize it. These are all experiences, but they are all different experiences. One is the experience of a form, one is the experience of a sound, one is the experience of thinking, memorizing. These are all different experiences. But what is common to all of them? The experiencer or the experiencing consciousness. In all the different, what creates these differences in the experience? The objects are different. One is a form, one is a sound, one is a smell, one is a memorization, whatever it is. So the objects are different, giving rise to different experiences. But the experiencing consciousness in all of them is one and the same. It does not change. It's what generates these, these experiences with the help of various names and forms. Various names and forms, the very word various means they're different. Gives rise to various experiences with the help of sense organs and mind. They are all changing and they are all objective parts of experience. The pure subject which is not an objective part of experience is consciousness itself. It never becomes an object. It is that which objectifies. Therefore, it does not get affected by the ambit of that argument. Are you beginning to see? You must first see logically. You see, logically, if it makes sense, then see it psychologically. Try to follow it back psychologically. You will get it. No? Okay. But a good question. See, this is the beauty of Advaita Vedanta. Because it is based on logic and experience, if you generate logical questions, any kind of doubt, a genuinely good question is a doorway to enlightenment. Because the experience what we are talking about is present right now. Always present. And the methodology of Advaita Vedanta is asking, generating a doubt, following it through, through your uh, reasoning. In any other path, question and answer would only give you some information. Say the path of 
yoga, meditation, for example. If you ask, um, should I keep my eyes fully open or fully closed or half open or closed? And I would say, suppose, keep it half open. Now, what have you got? You have got some information and advice, but you have actually got to sit down and do it. Then only it will give you some result. Here, on the other hand, there is nothing to be done in that sense. It's something to be realized. So these questions are the sadhana, the, the spiritual practice. You must learn to follow through with these questions. First, intellectually understand. Second, first logically, then psychologically. Um, I have a related question. Yes. and the experience are being merged. Hmm. Like? Uh, for example, sometimes just, I remember just as a child, just just feeling like a moment when you're somewhere and you just, I still remember that moment, like you're just there oh. and it's not like I'm seeing that, yes. I am it. Yes. It's like a moment of grace or something. Yes. Or also, I can also relate, I can also explain this through through the visual arts or other arts. Artists uh, sometimes talk of like being in a zone or something. Yes. Where, uh, it's it. My question is that is that an illusion or uh, is that uh, I, I don't understand that. Right. It seems what like the distance is less. I see. Uh, but what happens there? Let me tell you. There's a whole lot of study about this. This is called flow. Yes. I'll recommend that book to you, Mihai Chikzen Mihai. There's a book called Flow, which talks about these intense experiences. They are usually uh, experiences of timelessness, of subject-object differentiation that, that goes away. They are experiences of, of intense attention and focus. They are usually very rich experiences which you value for, uh, for a long time. And uh, they are experiences which can come in art, in sports, wherever you become intensely involved with something and you sort of transcend the feeling of, I am doing this. That feeling goes away for a time being. It's, it's a very um, uh, heightened state of awareness. Uh, that conscious thinking is not going on so much. Uh, conscious self-aware thinking is not going on so much. So that is an intense state of focus. Those are states which can be attained through meditation also. In fact, meditation aims to achieve such, such states. Patanjali Yoga. Now, what is its relationship to this? What we are studying here? Those are potentially very good states in which to recognize the witness consciousness. Because the discursive mind is not working, the egocentric mind is not working there, because it's, it's merged, it's intensely active, it's a very sattvic state. Now reflect back, follow this, reflect back upon your memory of that state. And ask yourself, to what it was appearing. Clearly it was an experience. What experienced it? The conscious egocentric mind was, was not there to say that I am experiencing this. Right? It was not there. It was merged in the activity, uh, in that experience. Then to what was it appearing? Because something was experiencing it. What will happen is, when you try to follow this up, what will happen is, Usually, our, all our experience has this structure of subject and object. Here, when temporarily subject and object are merged and yet it is a conscious experience, it's a good doorway to recognize the witness consciousness. Otherwise, what happens in normal, just now, if you ask, 
who is experiencing this immediately the mind will say i am here i am the ego with the mind and the instruments of knowledge it it stands in front of the consciousness witness consciousness and and assumes itself to be the experiencer but in those states the egocentric mind is um fully engaged it it it's it has no time to assert itself separately differentiation is not there yeah yes uh, i have a question and a doubt but as you have dealt earlier i want you to define the mind what really mind means and another thing we got to get clear from you you said that the external world is a creation of the mind of ishvara and yes. the dream world is the creation of our own mind yes uh, is there an exception when the dream is the visitation of uh, it is the divine dream god or goddess is coming in your dream all right so so your question is what is mind remember um though we keep it open to first time visitors this is really not for first time visitors this is the vedanta study group so we have been intensively studying some advanced text for a long time all right so what you are asking what is mind uh, is it's a good question but it's also very preliminary yeah. right in in the vedantic structure mind is called the is a part of the subtle body there are, there are precise definitions sankalpa vikalpatmakam manaha in the vedanta sara you will come across definition that which undertakes which things which ways op- ways options is it this way or that way that is the mind that is the function i it's it's a function so that's the definition that is its function yes it's defined by its function you are you want to know what is it in in itself what is the yeah. thing in itself it's a part of this subtle body the subtle body mm-hmm. has uh, three components um, the the pranamaya kosha the manomaya kosha and the vigyanamaya kosha the pranamaya kosha is constituted of the uh, pancha prana the five uh, functions of the vital force the manomaya kosha is constituted of the mind the sankalpa vikalpatmakam mana and uh, the five sense organs uh, the functions of the five sense organs and the vigyanamaya kosha is constituted of the kartritva and the buddhi the ego and the buddhi and um, uh, the chitta is also included in the manomaya kosha so this is the constituent if you ask further no what are these constituted of these are constituted of what are called tanmatras the subtle forms of the five elements space air fire water earth they have subtle forms sukshma tanmatra so their first evolutes are these subtle bodies more details you'll have to go back to abc of vedanta <laughs> all right and the, your your second part of your question was the dreams are constitute constituted of our mind and the world is constituted of ishwara's mind now our mind and is there some time when these dreams are not constituted of our minds and their visitations uh, from a divine source yes we have certain very special what might be called spiritual experiences in dreams which are often unforgettable um, ordinary dreams they come and go these ones is these ones are some of the dreams which you remember not only do you remember it has a transformative effect on you it's something that is very valuable and precious to you for the rest of your life so this is like yogis had these experiences in the waking world through spiritual practices and sometimes we get it in dreams so they are not constituted by our minds entirely there might be elements in those dreams spiritual dreams 
which are constituted by our minds, but there is definitely something which is coming from a cosmic source, from Hiranyagarbha. All right, let me go ahead. Um, verses 14 and 15, you might remember that I had actually touched upon them earlier when I was doing verse 9, 10. And there the question was, what, what then is the criterion of reality? And these two verses came up at that point. But let me go into this because there's a lot going on here. Let me do the 14th and 15th verse today also. 14th verse. Chitta kala hi ye antahatu, chitta kala hi ye antastu, dvaya kalascha ye bahihi, dvaya kalascha ye bahihi, kalpita evate sarve, kalpita evate sarve. Visesho nanya hetukaha, Visesho nanya hetukaha. Before I explain this, let me give you the context. Just now we said that um, it's a very interesting discussion, so pay attention, you'll get a lot out of it. Just now we said that um, this one consciousness alone with the power of Maya, projects this waking world. And with the mind turned inwards, with the mind itself, projects a dream world. But both are projections, both are false. Now, somebody says, the opponent says, wait, wait, just a minute. I have objections to this. You are equating the dream world, that's a projection. And the waking world, this is also a projection. But this is not how we see it. I agree with you. This is the, remember, this is the opponent who is saying, the questioner who is asking. I agree with you that the dream world is a projection of my mind. Okay, fine. But this waking world is not a projection of my mind or anybody's mind. It's real. It's out there. There is a difference between the waking world and the dream world. The dream world depends on my mind. I agree. When I stop dreaming, the people in my dream, the places in the dream, what I, the, that, that dream and its constituents have disappeared. They don't exist. But when I am not experiencing this world, the waking world, suppose I go from this room to that room, will this room disappear? Um, suppose all of us go away from this room and there is no other living being here who is experiencing this room. Will it disappear? No, we don't think that way. It's, it goes against our common sense that this room is going to disappear if we are not experiencing it. So why is this false? This is what, in fact, this is what we consider to be real. Something that we exists independent of our experiencing. It was there. I, I, nobody was experiencing it. It was there. Now we have come here and we are experiencing this room. It is still there. When we go away, will all of us go away? This room will still exist. That's how we experience the waking world. Hence, this waking world is not false. It's not like a dream. Don't compare it to a dream. It's not a projection. So I can see a lot of heads nodding. Yeah, that's how we, th no, that's, that's how we think. That, that's good. It's good that he's asking this question. So we have to go into this. It's very interesting. The non-dualist, first of all, responds by saying, we have never denied the difference between waking and dreaming. 
Notice, even in the earlier verse, it said, with the mind turned outwards, that means to the sense organs, the uh, Ishwara has projected the external world and you experience an external world. With the mind turned inwards, you experience a world projected in your mind. So clearly the difference uh, between waking and dreaming, even in the Upanishad, waker's world, dreamer's world, what is the waker's world? What the consciousness experiences with the mind extroverted through sense organs is a waker's world. Uh, but they're still false. Your question is like, this, um, the non-dualist is telling the opponent, your question is like, suppose you see by mistake a snake projected on a rope and by uh, mistake you see water projected in the desert and then you, you say, and, and we say that both are false and you say, no, 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 how can they be false? One is a snake and one is water. Water and snake are different. You are not differentiating between the two. Uh, how can both be false? This is not the real answer, by the way. Uh, this is our, our intermediate answer. You are not, so we are making a distinction. Um, you are saying, it's like you are saying that because it, that is water and this is a snake, snake and water are not the snake. Remember, what water am I talking about and what snake? The rope mistaken to be, those classic examples in Vedanta, rope mistaken to be a snake. And in the mirage, the desert mistaken to be water. Now you are arguing that water and snake are not the same, how can you equate the two? We say we are not equating the two. We are saying water is water and snake is snake, but the point is in this case both of them are false. That's what we are trying to say. But the, the opponent could go further and argue that was not our point. Don't confuse the issue. Water and snake are both false. Um, the, the mirage water and the snake in the rope are false. That we understand. What we are saying here is, follow this carefully. This is the crucial question. The difference between waking objects and the dream objects are such. Not like uh, mirage water and rope snake. The difference is such that it makes one real and the other false. The... You see the question? It makes, this is, a, this is a person who's asking a question to the non, this is not the non-dualist position. The que person asking the question is saying that waking objects are different and dream objects are different. And the difference is such that it makes the waking object real and the dream object false. Why? What is the difference? The difference is the waking, the dream objects, they are experienced, they are there only when you are dreaming. They are entirely internal in your mind. They are not out there, what you are experiencing in your dream. Because they are internal in your mind, because they have no external existence, because they disappear once you wake up from the dream. Hence, we agree dream objects are false. But the waking objects are entirely different. They are outside your mind. They are out there. They are not in your mind. They exist when you experience them and they exist when you do not experience them. Right? Therefore, this waking, waking world is real, a separate material world, quite apart from you. You cannot equate them to a dream world. You cannot say they are false. This is a question. Answer it. So, are you answering it or are you, uh, you, are, you are reinforcing the... <laughs> no, I'm yes. To, I'm this, is, this is something that will really appeal to us because this is how most of us think. This is a common sense approach to the whole thing. Yes. Yes. When I'm in the room, everything is in my, in me, the consciousness. Everything yes. Is 
True. And when I go out of the room, the room still exists, but it exists again as a experience of thought in me, the consciousness. It experiences as an experience of thought in you, the consciousness, when you are walking down towards the subway. But it experiences also outside it, here. That is the argument that they are making. Yes, it experience, ex exists in your mind, but it also exists outside your mind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How do you know that until you experience it? Well, that's how we take it. Now, now you are too good as Vedantist, that's a d <laughs> difficult to argue with. Alright, I'll take your lead, but let me uh, now go to the answer, what they are saying. What is Gaudapada's answer here? It's a powerful question. Do you see the power of the question? Because it's the question everybody will ask. Alright, now Gaudapada's answer is, he says, he gives a preliminary answer here. And the real answer I'll tell you. But the preliminary answer is this, there's sometimes in, in debate, the opponent's position is accepted and, and uh, it is cut down. Uh, reason is given to show that um, our, our initial argument stands. And then the, this, is the, this is the temporary answer. The real answer is the opponent's position also is rejected completely. So the difference is this. The first one where you accept. In English also we say that. Accepting for the sake of argument. Accepting for the sake of argument or in mathematical proofs, if it is so, it will lead to a, a, what is called reductio ad, ad absurdum, uh, absurd con conclusion. So for the first, for the first half of this thing, uh, Gaudapada accepts the question that yes, waking and dreaming of dream objects are very different. He says, yes, waking and dream objects are very different. In Sanskrit it is called tushyatu durjana nyaya. <laughs> Which means, Tushyatu means, be calmed. Durjana means, you crook. <laughs> uh, I, I give it to you. It says, Tushyatu means, I give it to you. Tushyatu means, be, be satisfied. Alright, I give it to you. Durjana means, an, uh, an unpleasant person. <laughs> or bad person. I, I give it to you. Um, I admit it. Uh, what you are saying. But still, what we said follows. How? First part of it is, I admit it. How are they different? And Gaudapada helps the opponent. See, this is clearly how the two are different, waking and dreaming. How? Chitta kala hi ye antastu. Things that exist internally as long as the thought lasts. Like dreams. Like daydreams. Hallucinations. As long as the thought lasts. And things that are externally related to the two points of time. Externally related to two points of time. Dvayakala. If you literally translate, here is where it gets complicated. Chittakala means mental time. Things which exist only in, in internal mental time, like dream objects. What you saw in the dream, the people you saw, they exist only as long as your dream last, lasts. And they have no existence apart from that. That's dream, dream objects. What are external objects? It, he uses the time, he uses the word Dvayakala. Literally, if you translate it, it means twin timed um, and the mental time means uh, chitta kala or mental time these are dreams or dream objects you can't see them right i have to use another
dream objects. And twin time is uh, waking objects. By, by the way, by waking objects, I don't mean objects that are, uh, that, are wake, uh, that are woken up. I mean the objects that you see when you are awake. Waking, waking state objects, actually. So this term, dvayakala, twin time, and chittakala, mental time, this uh, is a little complicated. That's why this verse is quite interesting. How do you define dream objects? That's pretty easy. He uses the term mental time. They exist only as long as you are dreaming. They exist in your mind. That's why it's called chittakala. As long as the mind is dreaming it up, it exists. When the mind stops dreaming it, it's gone. So for example, you're having pizza. And actually it's a dream. And somebody wakes you up. So you don't say that, oh, I should have put it in the dream refrigerator, the dream, dream pizza and dream refrigerator. The next time I go and dream, I'll take it out and have another dream snack. No, because it's gone. You don't have to worry about it getting spoiled and you, don't, you can't expect it will be there when you go back into the dream because it lasts only as long as you are dreaming and it has no existence apart from your dreaming it up. But then how do you define an objective thing which exists like this hall for example? How would you say? How would you define it? What term would you use? So he, here Gaudapada uses a very interesting term, twin timed. By twin time what he means it is it exists when you are experiencing it and it continues to exist when you are not experiencing it. He is helping the opponent. He says this is what you want to say, right? It exists when you are experiencing it and it exists when you are not experiencing it. Twin time. And Shankaracharya further to be helpful, he uses a word anyonyavacheda and complicates the matter much further. <laughs> what it means is they are mutually determined by each other. He goes into little depth there. He gives an example. He, the example of a man milking a cow. This is the example he gives. For what? For a waking object in the waking state. He says it's like Dvayakala, those that are possessed of two times, that is, which are related to different times, which are mutually determined. Anyonyavacheda, the Sanskrit word means mutually determined. Example, he says, as for instance, he stays during the milking. That means milkman is there during the milking of the cow. What does it mean? That the cow is milked as long as the milkman is there and he stays there as long as the cow is milked. That means they are mutually determined by each other. What exactly this he wants to say is that dream, follow this, dream objects exist for you, the dreaming mind, for the dreamer's mind. But waking objects exist for each other. Right? The dream objects, the plate on which you are having the pizza, the plate and the pizza do not exist for each other. Both of them exist for your mind only, in the dream. But you go to the uh, shop and order a pizza in the waking state and though you are experiencing the plate and you are experiencing the pizza, but quite apart from your experiencing the pizza and the plate, the plate and the pizza exist for each other also. Does that make sense? Once again, yes. Uh, I'm trying to put it in my words, what Shankaracharya is saying. His words are, they are mutually determined. And his example of milk and the cow, milking the cow is not very... I don't think it clarifies the matters very much. Mutually determined means this, 
that uh, dream objects in the dream exist for whom? For only the dreamer's mind. They don't exist for each other. What do I mean by that? The plate on which I'm eating a pizza in the dream. I'm sitting at the table and eating a pizza. The pizza is on a plate. I'm eating it. The pizza and the plate both exist for my mind. That means they exist in my mind only in my mind. They have no other existence at all. What is their mutual relationship? There is none. They, have, they don't uh, have any kind of uh, mutual relationship because apart from their relation to my mind, they have no existence at all. All of them are imagined by my mind. Whereas, they exist only when I experience them in the dream. Whereas, you go to a pizza shop and you order a pizza and you're eating a pizza, there is a pizza and there is a plate. And even when you're experiencing them, they are there. But when you are not experiencing them, they are still there. There is the pizza and the plate. The pizza exists and it sits on the plate. They exist with relation to each other. That existing with relation to each other, that, that is called the second time of the existence. The first time is when you are experiencing and eating it. The second is even when you are not eating it, those things still exist. How? For each other. They are mutually related to each other. No? It's a sort of roundabout way of putting it. That sounds like this. It sounds like the pizza exists for you. Yes, that's, no, that, that, that's true in dreams and also in waking. Yeah. But in the waking state, you exist for the pizza. No, 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 you don't. <laughs> you, usually, if, 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 you're, if you're very hungry, <laughs> no, in the waking state, what it means is, in the waking state, even when you are out of the equation, Remember, this is not what the non-dualist wants to say. It's what the opponent wants to say. The non-dualist is just giving you a logical framework of saying it. Even when you, the experiencing mind, you are out of the equation, the pizza still goes on existing. On the plate. The plate and the pizza, they all exist. Which means, what he wants to say is, the objects of this waking world exist for you when you are experiencing them. When you are not experiencing them, when you go away to another place, all these objects still ex exist for each other. In the relationship as you find them. The table and the chair and the altar and the fan, they all have their particular relationships and they exist in this way. Whether you experience it or not. This is the sign of the waking world and so the argument is this is real and the dream world is not real. I concede that the dream world is false but I maintain that this waking world is real. Why? Dwayakala. Because of twin timed. Uh, they exist during... Let's put it this way, they exist during experience time, they exist during no experience time also. Okay, this is the easiest way of putting it. When you are not experiencing it, the realist, the materialist says, the material world continues to exist, whether you experience it or not. Alright, is this understandable? This is what sort of convoluted way they are putting it. Because if you see, logically, the, the dream world exists in dreams. How do you know? Because it exists for me, the dreamer, it appears to me. In me, dreamt up by me. Fine. Now, in those terms, suppose I ask this question, the waking world continues to exist when you are not experiencing it. How do you know? For whom or what does it exist? You can answer it exists for each other, for, for uh, the different entities in, in itself. These entities exist in relation to each other. Not, not in relation just to you. Independent of you. Independent of you. Uh, yes. I have a question. So is this 
Ah. Right. The relative, yes. That's also another track. That's the track that the Buddhists take. That they are mutually dependent. They have no indivi individual uh, existence. They call it pratitya samutpada, um, dependent coordination or dependent origination. The Buddhists say that the world is an appearance because nothing has an independent existence in itself. All depends on causes and conditions. They all come up together or they disappear together. Um, so that is, uh, that's, that's also one, one way of putting it. But here the materialist is saying, no, 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 no. Uh, the, um, it's a common sense approach. They exist depending on each other and that's the sign of reality. That's why they are real. That's a common sense approach. That If you don't get into philosophy, that's the normal way we deal with the world. We say this is real because it exists apart from you. They depend on each other, but they exist apart from you. Now, what is the answer to this? Gaurapada's answer is, regardless of this, we admit this difference. Yes, the dream. Remember, this is only preliminary admission. Tushya to Durjana. Alright, be satisfied with your logic. Be happy with your logic. Even with this distinction, even admitting this distinction, still the waking world is false. Why? Have you not paid attention to the reason we gave? The original reason? Anityatvat, impermanent, all these things in the world which they exist, the pizza and the plate, are they permanent or impermanent? They are impermanent. Even in the waking world they are impermanent. If they are impermanent, that means they come into existence and they disappear from existence. They are produced and destroyed, born and dying. If they come into existence and they disappear from existence, which means existence is not intrinsic to these names and forms. They do not possess in intrinsic existence. They borrow their existence from something else. If they borrow their existence, that is the very definition of falsity, dependent existence. Hence, like the Buddhist would say, mutual dependence. So because they are dependently existent, hence they are false. Our original argument still stands. Even, even if I admit to you, the dream world exists only when I am dreaming, the experience world exists at two times, when I am dreaming it and when, when, when I am not dreaming, when I am experiencing it and when I am not experiencing it. Dream objects exist only when I am experiencing it. When? In dreams. Otherwise not. When I am awake, they don't exist. But the waking world exists when I'm experiencing it. When I'm sitting here in the hall and experiencing the hall, it exists. And when I go away from the hall, it still exists. We admit it temporarily. We'll, we'll soon so that we don't admit that also. But temporarily we admit it. Yes, you, this distinction, you have intelligently pointed out this distinction between waking and dreaming. Still our argument that the waking world is equally false stands because both are impermanent. And we have shown impermanence is related to falsity. That crucial link, do you remember? Impermanence is related to falsity. That uh, impermanence means borrowed existence. Otherwise the thing would not be impermanent. Hmm? Do you remember that logic? So our logic still stands. So this is the answer. Did you have a question? A remark? Uh, yeah. I have some kind of feeling that the person, the debater who is debating with Gaurapada, I feel between Gorupada and the debater, they have different level of mental renunciation. Gorupada sort of feel like renounce everything, 
But the person who is debating, he still has something else that he feels real, he cannot renounce, so he need, has to assume real. Yes, <coughs> there, are, there are certain psychological conditions, those things will come later. Why renunciation, why transcending desire for worldly objects is considered important? The reason is that as long as we take it to be valuable and nice, it's psychologically difficult to give up the belief that they are real. Logically one might, might understand and uh, sort of get it what they are trying to say, but we will still continue to feel it's real and behave it's real and speak as if it's real because of our desires internally. That will come later, discussion will come later. What are the practices later on? Yes. Swamiji, would you say that impermanence of the world is uh, an assumption? Impermanence of the world? It's, a, it's an assumption. It's an experience, nobody denies it. What, what part of the world is permanent? No, no, what entity is per permanent? By permanent, I mean unchanging or unborn and un uh, I mean with no birth, no death, absolutely steady, steady state. What? Everything is changing here. Everything changes, uh, is, uh, is born and is dies. Changes, yes. Yes. But the existence is there. Ah, the existence. All right. Even there, that also is a door to Advaita. Existence is there, right? You're saying what existence is permanent? You're saying existence itself is permanent. That's Advaita Vedanta. Existence itself, abstracted from the changing names and forms, is what is called Sat. Do you follow what I just said? Yeah. This is being. Certainly this is permanent. How can being become non-being? Never. But what turns, is the world existence? No, it is existence plus other things, names and forms. And those names and forms are continuously changing. That is what is meant by impermanent. Right? Do you see, what are you sitting on? Are you sitting on existence? No, you are sitting on a chair which exists. And the chair is certainly subject to change. It can be produced, it can be destroyed. Yes. Can one say that it exists but only within time and time changes? What exists? The world. The world changes in time. And time changes. And time also changes. Permanent, so yes. within time but time is not permanent. That is true. Time flows. But the world is not permanent. Yeah. Because the world changes. The world yes. But the question about being, existence. Tell me, you just said all the objects in the world, chair, exists? Huh? Chair is, man is, woman is, sky is. This is what you mean by the world exists? But these are changing. Chair is born and is created and destroyed. Man is born and dies. Woman is born and dies. Sky also. One day the universe was created. At one time it will go away. They exist but only temporarily. Does the chair exist eternally? Have you ever met an eternal chair? No. Obviously not. The world, by world do you mean what? The universe? We go to the Hayden Planetarium here and Neil deGrasse Tyson will tell you in his unique voice uh, that the world universe was created so many billions of years ago before which it did not exist. But what you are trying to say is there is a feeling of existence everywhere. That existence is permanent. This isness, you will see it is common. 
there's a long discussion beautiful discussion we should do it once uh, in the second chapter of the bhagavad gita oh bhagavad gita it's coming very soon second chapter 16th verse nasato vidyate bhavo nabhavo vidyate sataha the the unreal never comes into existence and the real never goes out of existence <coughs> the one who knows the distinction between these two that one truly knows so nasato vidyate bhava and shankaracharya has a long discussion on this question of existence what is existence and what is its relation to things which exist anyway that's a different topic it will take a long time but we will discuss it i think in a couple of classes we'll come upon that verse in the gita class all right now till now gaurapada has not really pulled out the big guns i've told you what his real answer is earlier now i'll repeat it remember what is the question what what was the premise of the question the whole question is based on this idea that the waking world and the dream world are fundamentally different that which the dream world is something that exists in the mind and hence it cannot be real and the waking world is something that exists out there solid separate from the mind hence is real now look at the logic in the mind not real that means only in the mind not real and out there and also in the mind when you see something out there that is real out there external to the mind real internal in the mind not real this was the question gorapada says actually this distinction also we do not agree why consider in your dream remember in your dreams also dreams are not recognized as dreams during dreams during dreams how do you feel waking you never feel i am dreaming you feel i am awake you don't even doubt it all right in your dreams there are things which you see outside and there are things which you think imagine feel inside when you wake up what happens both of them are equally unreal the division between existing outside and existing in the mind and therefore outside thing being real and mental thing being imaginary is an imaginary distinction proof your own dreams everything that you saw outside the person you saw outside the dog in the central park the central park itself the lake itself outside real and i'm imagining something else a dog i saw somewhere else in say uh, los angeles or something that's imaginary and this is real i was feeling that the moment i wake up and I, oh i was dreaming about it then the imagined dog in my mind and the real dog walking outside <laughs> in the central park whole thing becomes a dream the distinction between internal imagined object external real object is erased both are seen to be projections in the mind this distinction does not hold if it does not hold in the dream world how do you know this will hold here also only thing is though the distinction in the dream world they are based on the mind dreamer's mind here internal external differences they are based they will all the external world also becomes falsified when you realize yourself as pure consciousness as turiya when you awaken to that reality dream world is realized as false when you awaken from a dream into waking waking world is realized as false as relative truth as lower truth when you awaken to your real nature as the turiya as pure consciousness see what is happening now is with some effort we can sort of logically grasp what is being said here still it doesn't seem to be quite 
right or quite um, real to us. Why it doesn't seem to be real? We have no objections when it comes to saying that the dream world is false. Why? We can see the dream world from the vantage point of the real world. So we can dismiss the dream world. False. But the real world is false with respect to not the, real, uh, not the waking world. It, the waking world is false with respect to Turiya. Which is right here. But until we have a clear conception, a clear realization of it, then we see. Then all this logic makes sense. It will make, yeah, it's a, it's a fact. Because it's a part of our experience then. We see, clearly we see. Just as all the arguments showing that the dream world, waking, the dreams are false, you don't need the arguments because you have already experienced the falsity of the dreams. The arguments you immediately understand, you, you say, okay, they are false. Similarly, the arguments about the falsity of the waking world, at most, until you understand the, or realize the theorem, until that point, they will have a logical force, but not a psychological force. Psychologically, you will still feel, this is real. When you realize, right here, what the theorem is, apart from the experience of the theorem, apart from the things which are experienced, then all this logic, again, will become superfluous. You will clearly see, all these are appearances, in Turiyam, in consciousness, not an external reality experienced by consciousness, not a world happening to consciousness, but all of this is in consciousness and I am that consciousness. That becomes an experience. I mean, it is an experience, we have not recognized it yet. Yeah. Yes. You're changing the baseline, Swamiji. When you say that the dream world is false when it comes to waking. Like yes. But the waking level becomes force when you go to the absolute level. Yes. So you change your base baseline. Correct. That is true. That is what Advaita is. It's a change of paradigm. It's a change of paradigm. It's not going to any particular place, but seeing it from the, uh, seeing the uh, lower level of reality from the higher level of reality. Remember, Advaita talks about three levels of reality, or in your words, three baselines. One is Paramarthic, the absolute reality, which is Satchidananda or Turiyam. The second one is Vavaharika. Uh, that's another term which I did not use. Relative reality, falsity, Swami Vivekananda's lower truth, that is Vavaharika. Second baseline of reality. And the third, the lowest is Pratibhasika, an appearance, a rope snake, a mirage, or dreams, illusions, errors, they're all appearances, which we know to be false without any philosophy also. Right now we know them to be false. Yes. True, Swamiji, but when you compare two items, yes. you compare them with the same baseline. You don't. When you compare, uh, so for example, when you compare, no, you, you, for example, when you compare experiences, you compare it, uh, reality to the false. For example, when you compare um, a cookie which you have eaten with a cookie which you dream, dreamt of eating, you don't consider them equally at all. Will you say that I had a cookie while I was awake and three cookies in my dream. So total, I've over, over shot my sugar quota. I've had four cookies today. No, you don't. Because you recognize those three cookies are appearances and they are not to be counted along with the cookie in the waking state. Why are they not to be counted? Because they belong to a lower baseline of reality. Lower baseline of reality is a polite word of saying falsity. There are three false cookies and one waking real cookie. So the waking cookie alone, alone is to be counted. But luckily from Turiya point of view, you need not count the waking cookie also. <laughs> To the, it'll make your doctor infuriated. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. We are getting somewhere. Um, let me just 
Oh, we have run out of time. But let me just read the next verse because we have done it actually earlier. And we, I will not, I'll just translate it and leave it at that. So this distinction between mental existences like dreams and a waking world outside, this distinction is not accepted. Both are false. One is false from the waking state. The other one is false from the point of view of Turiyam. Of course, both are false from the point of view of Turiyam. Fifteen. We have done this earlier. Abhyakta eva ye antastu. Abhyakta eva ye antastu. Sputa eva cha ye bahihi. Sputa eva cha ye bahihi. Kalpita eva te sarve. Kalpita eva te sarve. Visheshas twindriyantare. Visheshas twindriyantare. The opponent comes forward with another related objection, trying to say that external things are real and mental things are false. But this objection is weaker than the earlier one. The objection is that, look, things which you see outside are real, crisp and well-defined. Things which you imagine inside are vague. Just see this object which you see. So clear, if you've got your glasses on. So it's so clear and well-defined. Now close your eyes and try to imagine the same object in your mind. It will be vague and lacking in detail. So that's an imagination. It's not real and this is real. Again, a weak uh, argument. Because why? Because the same thing applies in your dreams also. You will see precisely clarified, clear objects outside. And when you're thinking inside about those objects, it will be vague and ill-defined inside. And when you wake up, both these things in outside and your thoughts in the dream all of them are dream. They didn't happen. They were not there. So this distinction between external clarity and internal vagueness, that's he says, visheshas to indriyantare. It depends on the nature of the instrument which you are using. If you use eyes in waking or in dreams, you will see clear forms. If you use imagination in waking or in dream, you will see a vague outline of something, a vague approximation of something. But that does not make it any more real external thing is not real because it's clear and internal thing is not false because it's it's vague both are false because not because of clarity or vagueness not because they are internal external because they are objects of consciousness because they are strictly temporary impermanent good then we will go on next time Another interesting question will be asked next time. That, um, all right, here you are, let's forget the absolute consciousness for the time being. Here you are the subject, and here is the world, your object. Which is first, subject or object? You are saying the pure consciousness projects, or Ishwara projects them both, the individual experiencer and the experienced, the conscious experiencer and the, uh, the material experienced objects. So, which one is produced first? You're asking. Which is first in the universe? The universe itself or the consciousness? consciousness. Because you are non-dualists. <laughs> Every scientist would say, what would a scientist say? Scientists would say, universe, the material universe is created first. And then in a, in a tiny planet in the corner of the universe, um, very uh, simple forms of material uh, combined together to form organic materials and they evolve into 
very simple forms of life and ultimately millions and millions of years later very sophisticated forms of living matter matter generate what is called consciousness so consciousness is much later and the material universe is first vedanta would give you'll see the very nuanced answer one answer is what you said but that's a secondary answer the real answer is there exactly there is no order to it think you begin to understand what godapada will do if you know one trick he will refer everything back in this chapter to to Seven. dreams in dreams what is produced first you the dreamer or the object the dream world both they both immediately appear in you the dreamer's mind the real point is there is neither the world nor the person who is experiencing that world both are appearances in the dreamer's mind here the jiva the sentient being and the universe which the jiva experiences both are appearances in consciousness and you are that consciousness not that particular being who's experiencing this world so you know godapada's answer if you know so immediately dream example and you will see it works perfectly all right today if you see the picture there swami abhedananda ji's birthday swami abhedananda yes it's coming next sunday i mean i'm going to talk about it today the birthday is swami abhedananda's birthday second uh, uh, 3rd october 3rd october yesterday was um, Gandhi ji's birthday. So this is Swami Abhedananda, one of the direct disciples of Sri Ramakrishna, who's uh, who's very important to us here because though the Vedanta Society was created by Swami Vivekananda 125 years ago, 1894, but it is Abhedananda who nurtured it for 20 years. He was he worked here in the United States. So it's his birthday today, auspicious day. शांति 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 हरि ओ तत्सत्कृष्णापणमस्तु ओ फनी थिंग विच ऑकर्ड टू मी आई फॉट टू टेल यू वेन आई सॉ द टर्म ट्वीन टाइम्ड दिस द्वयकाला एक्चुअली इन इंग्लिश इट कैन बी ट्रांसलेटेड एज टू टाइमिंग a two two timer means a fraud yes. a deception so the very english trans- it's it's a very happy translation that that's what actually godapada wants to say the world is to, it's a two timer which means uh, it is false 